sounds a lot better. Um, I, I want to say thank you to all of you who serve, um, make our worship run smoothly. And I love that song. Every time Gary sings that song, it, it warms my heart. And also, we had on the uh, platform today, and they didn't know that I was going to do this, but uh, Valera will be making a transition. She will be studying up at GLA. And so this would be, this is a, a, a big move for her. So I request that you pray for uh, Valera. I know she's going to be doing really well. And I know that by God's grace, she's going to make, a, make an impact there. And also, Franco will be traveling tomorrow. We'll be going overseas for a little bit. And uh, as you can see, he's looking at me, so I might have to talk to him after I'm in trouble. Um, but nonetheless, I just wanted to bring that to your attention that both of um, our young people do need prayers, and all of our young people, especially as they come back to school. I have somewhat of a burden on my heart to share with you. I had shared, I think, the last time that my aunt had passed away, and this past Sabbath, the 10th, was her funeral, and my family is still mourning uh, the loss. So I ask for your prayers as well. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about Psalms chapter 137. And I might say that the reading this week was a rather difficult one. When you read the book of Ezekiel, it seems to raise a lot of questions. And then Psalm 37 nonetheless. And these were all a part of our reading together as a church family. And so I hope to address at least this one psalm. I cannot address all the chapters in Ezekiel, but at least I can approach one of the psalms. With that said, let us pray together. I'm going to kneel. I request that you bow your heads as we pray and invite the Lord to be with us. Father in heaven, we seek you now because we realize that by ourselves we cannot do justice to what you would like to say to us. The Bible is before us, and before we open it or dare to open it, Father, we ask that you teach us. We pray that we may acknowledge your presence among us as you've promised where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst. And so, Jesus, we pray that you may be the prominent figure in our worship today. I ask that you put me aside and that you may stand before your people and preach and speak. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has a heavy burden on their heart, that you may tailor make this message for them especially and for all of us. Father, we thank you so much for hearing our prayers. We know that you will not fail to grant because we come in the mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. amen. Psalm 137. Before we get to Psalm 136, I would like for you to engage just for a moment in today's worship by turning your Bibles to Psalm 136. Before we get to Psalm 137, rather, I'd like for you to engage in the uh, worship this morning by doing something that the uh, Jews or the Israelites would do back in the day. You see, the Israelites understood that the book of Psalms was one of their song books. It was one of their what? Song books. And so the book of Psalms is a book full of songs and the the, the Hebrew children would often use the book of Psalms as their songbook. And so generally when they approached the Psalms, sometimes they would do it in such a way where there was interaction in the congregation between 
uh, the, the women and the men. And so we'd like to do that with Psalm 136. So men, just a, a bit of direction here. We're going to read the first part of this psalm. And then women, you respond by reading the latter part of each verse. So let me demonstrate to you what that looks like. So men, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Women, wonderful, wonderful. That sounds very good. So we're going to do that together. So men together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. And we can stop there. Isn't it a very interesting psalm in the sense that you can immediately identify the focus that the writer is trying to bring to your attention. And what is repeated in the psalm more than anything else? It kind of gets stuck in your mind. The idea of God's mercy enduring forever. And isn't that a powerful idea? Isn't that a powerful concept? There's a theological concept that we need to engage with as far as when we go through life and the circumstances seem to impact us. We have to always remember that God's mercy does what? Endures forever. It's a powerful psalm, but it's also a powerful song. This song brings to yours and my remembrance the fact that God's mercy endures forever. It's still stuck in yours and my mind. This is a lovely song from the Hebrew songbook. A song that reminds you and I about the goodness of God and, yea, rather, the mercy of God. And you get the sense when you sing this, the idea is just stuck in your mind for his mercy endures forever. I just imagine as the Jews would engage, the Israelites would engage in, in, in worship with a song like this. And, and the men would, would say and the men would sing and then the women would respond for his mercy endures forever. The key thought is mercy endures forever. This idea of God's mercy was to be forever engraved in the minds of his people. And the best way to get truths fixed into the minds of individuals is to convey them through song. And tracing the history in this psalm of God's acts in the world, the Israelites would praise him for the creation of the world and for their redemption from Egypt. And then their final settling into the promised land. It's one of those psalms where we recount the acts of God in the world and in their experience. And every single time they recount an experience, they would conclude, for his mercy endures forever. But not all songs in the songbook goes this way. Some songs are joyful. And you get a sense when you're singing some of these songs that you just all of a sudden want to praise God and, and sing them with gusto. It's kind of like one of my favorite songs, one of our favorite songs, like Marching to Zion. Have you, how many of you know that song? It seems that when we, when we attempt to sing Marching to Zion, even though a church might be falling asleep, that hymn brings people back to life. Even the person who is leading on the hymn, all of a sudden they're gifted with the ability to Conduct a choir as they sing Marching to Zion. 
I can hear it in my home church now. We would often sing it. When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, we always sang this song, this and uh, hymn number 373, Seeking the Lost. We sang those songs out of the hymnal, like literally. Like every single Sabbath, those songs were on, on, on the, uh, were part of our worship service. And if there was any gathering where we'd get together, whether it be in a small group or a large group, that song would always come up, 373 or Marching to Zion. And if we're singing together as we're doing worship, and we, we would immediately identify that the tone of the worshipers was a little bit low and people were not engaged, we would choose something that was more upbeat. And marching to Zion would be that one. Come we that love the Lord. The invitation would ring. And then the chorus, we're marching to Zion. In one line of that song, as we are marching, it says, through, do you know the rest of it? Emmanuel's ground to where? Fairer worlds on high. We cannot help but to see as we're marching through Emmanuel's ground, and this world does belong to Christ. But yet still, in this world, we cannot help but to see the mangled bodies of those suffering. We're marching to fairer worlds on high, but yet still our world is suffering around us. And as Christians, we see it. We cannot help but to see the mistreatment of those who are less fortunate. We cannot help but to see the poor in our midst. And we cannot help but to see the many things happening in our world in terms of how people are being treated. And while we sing Marching to Zion, sometimes the songs change as we see what's going on in our world. And our lips would quiver and the tempo would slow and some songs filled with deep meaning we would sing. There's one, of, one song that is my favorite because it communicates a deep desire in the heart for God. And that is as water to the thirsty, as beauty to the eyes. There is a part in this song that I love that especially says, as strength that follows weakness, like as truth or like truth instead of lies. Some of those lines are just so rich and powerful. There's a part in this song that I still remember, and that is as strength that follows weakness. And sometimes you feel it when you sing it, but when you get to the part, so is my Lord, my living Lord to me. Such a powerful song. You know, I must say that I love hymns, because I realize when you read a hymn or sing a hymn, you cannot help but to conclude that those who wrote those songs really studied their Bibles. They, they, they write with a sense of understanding of the word of God, and they write with such deep meaning that you cannot help but to be touched by the songs as they're written. And I would like to share a story that kind of illustrates what I'm getting at. An old farmer went to church one day as he was visiting his family in a large city, and he entered this church for the first time coming from the countryside, and as he entered the church, he experienced something he had never experienced before. And so getting into church, enjoyed worship, and now he had gone back home and his wife asked him, how was it, honey? And he responded, well, it was good. They did something different this time, he said. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses, his wife said. What are those? They were totally new to him. He said, oh, they're, they're okay. 
They're sort of like hymns, only different. Well, that, what's the difference, his wife asked. The farmer said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. Well, if on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, all the cows, the cows, cows, cows are in the corn, are in the corn. They're in the corn, Martha. The cows are in the corn. That's a praise chorus. And that's what he concluded. Now, I, I do know that sometimes repetition are useful, and I'm not knocking praise choruses. In fact, there are some really nice ones, but uh, generally, when you get into the areas of, of music, we, we have different tastes and different ideas surrounding how we sing and what we sing, and that's not the purpose of this, this sermon, but I would like to engage with you for a little bit in this song in the book of Psalms. Again, I don't think all repetitions are bad, but the more I listen to music these days, I am developing a longing for a deeper meaning in song. For words that communicate a deeper understanding of God, of who he is and what he is doing in our world. In all of our lives, understand the importance of music. Music plays a vital role in everything that we do. We listen to music on our way to work, in the car. We listen to music on our way back home from work. Sometimes we're at home and we're cleaning and then the radio is on or it might be playing something nice on our computers, depending on what you're using. And you're walking or going for a jog and the headphones come out and you plug them in and as you're running, you're listening to music. It does play a vital role. And yet while we value music, our emphasis and desire can never match what the Hebrews thought about music. They really valued music. One author suggested, and, and, and he said, actually, without music, would a Jew be a Jew? That was his question. It was wrapped up in their identity. It was a part of who they were. Music was an important part of the Jewish culture. And we're accustomed to wonderful compositions in the Psalms as David wrote them. In the books of Moses, when the children of Israel were brought from Egypt all the way to the Promised Land, we have Exodus 15, where they sang the song of victory. In the book of Revelation, we hear of the song of Moses, when finally redemption sets in. Songs are important. The instruments would join in, the harp, the cornet, the flute, the trumpet, the children even, they say would sing these songs, these Hebrew texts in song until they had it memorized. And so a Jew could on one, uh, just, just in one moment could recite a song easily, even though it might have been a while since they sang it. They knew their songs. It's kind of a little bit embarrassing sometimes when you are in church and someone announces, and that happened to me today, someone announces the hymn number and you didn't catch it. And then you're peering over someone else's shoulder to identify what the number was, even though you're singing the song. We know the songs, but we don't always remember the numbers. But it does impress us when we know that someone says, here is the song, and then immediately someone can think of the number. That's 
quite impressive. I always thought that was impressive. That's not a talent that I have. I'm praying that I might have it someday. His mercy endures forever. But then the tone changes. We go from a song of high praise in Psalm 136 and then we get to Psalm 137. And all of a sudden it seems like the song ceases. Like a dark cloud resting over the psalms. This, this psalm paints a picture of the Israelites not singing at all. They love their music. But now we get to a point where singing has paused. Verse 1, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. They were busy weeping. They couldn't sing. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. Even the instruments were set aside, no longer singing, no longer praising, no longer celebrating. Here it was a moment in their experience where songs were no longer important. We hung our harps upon the willows. From where does this account come? This psalm immediately gives us the context under which it was written. The location was Babylon, and Jews did not belong in Babylon. The Israelites were not from Babylon. They were from Jerusalem. That was their home. They had spurned the many warnings that God had given to them, and the results were, as we see it, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. Their land was obliterated and wiped off almost off the face of the earth, and it, it also clearly outlines that the Israelites during this time was led into captivity because of their idolatry and Jeremiah's warnings, Ezekiel's warnings, and all of the prophets' warnings were not heeded. And now we get to Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon. There's a great warning here for the church which strives to mirror the practices of the world. Now, the Bible tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had leveled both the lands of Judah and Israel to the ground between the years 508 and 587 B.C. Most scholars believe that Daniel was taken captive to Babylon around 508. Now instead of the pure waters of their own rivers in Jerusalem, they were now by the rivers of Babylon. And Babylon had many rivers. Babylon was a rich city, and you can see how serene they were. They, they had found themselves a spot where they could sit down and think and contemplate and, 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 and go back in down memory lane and think about what they had experienced, and they said we just couldn't sing by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down, and there we wept. They had found a quiet spot by the willow trees, where I went to school in Virginia, we had a willow tree that was right by. And the first time I saw a willow tree was in the United States. I'd never seen them before. We don't really have those in Jamaica. And I saw it and I just thought, this tree just looks so mopey. Just, 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 just lazily just letting its branches fall to the ground. And you, you, often, you, you almost feel like sitting under a willow tree is a symbol of mourning, even though you didn't plan to mourn. 
you grab a chair and you go under a willow tree and all of a sudden people are praying for you. But here they were. I just can see it now as they sat by the rivers of Babylon and the harps hung on the willows and they're just mourning, weeping, thinking about Zion. They were, they had marched through the wilderness. They had settled into the promised land and they didn't treat it too well. They didn't really take care of their relationship with God and now on the other side they were again captives and they just wept. No more 422, no more marching to Zion, no more as water to the thirsty even though they were looking at water they just couldn't get the words out, they were just weeping by the willow trees. This psalm is a challenging one and as I said the reading was quite challenging this week. Now instead of observing the beauty of the temple where God dwelt, they had to look upon a temple dedicated to idols because the Babylonians were idolaters. And now instead of having an abundance from God's blessing in the promised land, they had to look upon their meager portions in their captivity. And with sadness in their hearts, the Bible said they just sat down and wept. No longer standing they sat down with their harps hung on the willow trees. The music had ceased. There was a time for the church to pause. A time for the church to pause and mourn its own condition. But not only that, there's a time for the church to mourn the condition of the world around it. And there is no doubt that this was taking place here and now among the Israelites. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and yea, we wept when we remembered, when we thought about where God wanted us to be. When we thought about Zion, where we, when we thought about the house of God and what it was supposed to be, here we are in Babylon. We don't belong here. We're in a, we're in a foreign land and, and here we are and it's very hard to sing where we are now. So they wept. There's no doubt that from the beginning of this psalm, and we did talk about his mercy endures forever in Psalm 136, but you can, you can definitely see the contrast. In verse Psalm 138, it, it picks up this way in, psalm, in verse 1 of Psalm 138. I will praise you with my whole heart. It returns to praise, but in between these two psalms. No singing. So I'd like to look at this psalm. There's no doubt, again, that the children of Israel were mourning. The imagery is clear from what we are reading. There is a time to weep and a time to mourn. They hung up their harps and they quit singing. Verse 2 and 3. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there, the Bible says, there in Babylon, those who carried us away captive asked of us a what? I, I just imagine, right? So, so I just imagine here that the, the Jews, when they were in their own hometown, in Jerusalem, where they, they, had, they had the best choirs, they, they had the best musicians, they had the best songs, and this was communicated all throughout the world. People, people were saying, you need to, if you ever go to Jerusalem, go at the time of the feast. You, you, you thought you heard good music? Go to the university church. And you hear some good singing. 
You, you, you think people know how to sing here? Just, just go to the U Church and you will hear music. Go to Jerusalem if you really want to know what music is like. And I tell you, you'll walk away just so mind-blown and awed by the fact that they can really, really sing. One of the, one of the, uh, the, the songs that I especially love is Comfort Ye My People by Hendel. Hendel's Messiah. And whenever I, 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 I do, I, I do confess to you that whenever I hear that song being, being sung by anyone, I first ask myself, is this person a good tenor? And that's because I'm a tenor. And so I'm listening to this song, and no matter how beautiful it may sound to the people beside me, I'm asking the question, well, this person is a good tenor. I might not be able to do what they do, but I, but I, but I listen to it with that in mind. I'm saying... Is this person a good tenor? But I tell you, in Jerusalem, they had the best tenors. They, they had the best baritones. You want to you hear songs? It, it, it was, you had to go to Jerusalem to hear them sing. And so the Babylonians had caught wind of that. And now the Jews were in captivity. And the Babylonians came to them and said, Hey, why don't you sing us one of the songs you used to sing back home? And they did it. Not out of a request to be impacted, but out of mockery. The best picture that I could paint for you is a picture that I read about centuries ago during the Holocaust. One of the greatest atrocities and evils that has ever touched our world, and there are many evils, but this one was, was rather, just, just in nature, it was just so crazy to think of that this would happen in our world. And so, these acts of injustices having happened over in Europe, and the Jews who experienced the Holocaust do not compare to what we read in the psalm here in the sense that this, this reality of the Jews during the time of the Holocaust is much closer to you and I, and so I'm not attempting to compare them to what I'm seeing in the psalms, but, but I want you to think for a moment about their experience. This great evil had been done, and it does warrant our mourning every time we think about it and mention it. But there are some stories. One story I would like to share with you is a story about a doctor, Dr. Johann Hendrik uh, Widener. Dr. Uh, uh, Widener, he was one of the eldest of four children, four, four children to his Dutch parents, and his father was a Seventh-day Adventist minister and Johann would later himself study at the seminary. When Germany invaded France in the year 1940, Johann said, I moved to Lyon, to, to Lyon or Lyon to help organize the Dutch Paris underground network to help Dutch Jews and political refugees to escape to Switzerland and Spain. He was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian who was helping those who were in a less fortunate circumstance. And he shares that while he was doing this, he was caught. And he said, during my interrogation, quoting him by the Gestapo, a guard repeatedly held my head in water until I almost drowned. Then I was forced to kneel on the edges of steel rulers, he says. I was released, but was later caught in a roundup of men to be sent to Germany as slave laborers. And he said, while the train was, was on the tracks making its way to, 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 uh, to Germany, 
He realized what was ahead of him, and so he literally jumped off the train and hiked all the way back to Switzerland. And he survived. But not, many, not all the stories are like Dr. Widener. Some other ones are more or less unfortunate. I stumbled upon, I, I do love history, and I stumbled upon a, um, a dissertation, a, a, uh, a, a research paper that was written by um, someone from University of Michigan. And it was engaging in the, the, the idea, the premise was, how was music used during the Holocaust? And he had some very interesting things to say that I would like to share with you. By the way, this was a picture of one of the concentration camps back there. Millions have died in the wake of the Holocaust. And so this, 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 this researcher wrote uh, about the experience, and some of the things that he cataloged was that the Jews were treated brutally, but, but more than that, to add insult to injury, some of the soldiers, the Gestapos, would actually ask the Jews to sing. They were required to sing. The Jews in their captivity were required to sing to please their captors. And his name, the, the, the professor, uh, I think is Guido Factor, that was his name. And he said that there's one thing, that an idea that was communicated during this time, and it was that the idea of sing on command. And that is, if you're in a concentration camp as a Jew, and a soldier walks up to you and says, sing, you had to sing on the spot. And if you sang the song but didn't know the words, you would get beaten. And if you sang the song too loudly, you would get beaten for that. And if you, even if you knew the words and sang the song too softly, you would get beaten for that. This they did out of mockery. The Jews, they had no choice but to sing for him, whosoever he was who was a soldier. And he might tell the song and sometimes he might not say what song it is. And again, if you don't know the words, you would get beaten. Then other soldiers had their own favorite genres of music. And so what they would do, they would gather slaves who knew how to sing just this type of music. And so if they liked the gypsy songs, they would get those people and put them in their, their, uh, their, their slave groups to work. So that they can be entertained while the Jews were in captivity. Sing on command. They were required to sing songs to their captors. And the story is told of one Jew in particular who was told to sing. And he sang, sang, and sang while he was being beaten. And he was beaten until he was unconscious. While he sang. By the rivers of Babylon. The, the, the picture here that we find in the book of Psalms is as uncomfortable as that. And it, it kind of makes you feel that there's something needs to happen when things like these happen in our world. But nonetheless, the purpose, this professor had said that the sole purpose was to further degrade the Jews, and that's why they were asked to sing. It was out of mockery of their own tradition and 
and their own condition as they were prisoners in these camps. And the soldiers had assumed that their positions and status in the world were higher than the Jews who were their servants and prisoners. And they were meeting all the wishes of their masters. And this same ideology took place in other contexts, slavery being one, and other parts of the world, and even here in the United States. Psalm 137 and verse 3 for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. What do you do when you find yourself in such a condition? Do you sing? The Jews, the Israelites, in this case, thought about it. They said no. They hung their harps. And they asked themselves the question, or asked the question, in fact, some uh, Scholars say that the question was directed directly to the Babylonians, and the question was, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? In other words, the, the, the song that we have doesn't belong to us. It's God's song. It's the Lord's song. And how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, the, the very land that plundered us? It's a hard question. There's really no answer to it. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It goes on. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief or highest joy. There comes a time when the church ought to stop singing and repent of its own condition. There comes a time when the church ought to stop singing and, and recognize its location in the world. Are we like the world or are we like Christ? There comes a time when the church ought to pause singing and recognize and realize where we are. Do we look like the land in which we live or do we look like the land to which we're destined to go? We can't sing the Lord's song for Babylon's entertainment. It is not our song, it's the Lord's song. There are too many people who seem to think that they can do what they wish with songs. No clear lines between what is sung in the club and what is sung in the congregation. There ought to be a difference, but there's more to this passage of scripture. For all it deals with music, there's an even greater theme. I actually stumbled upon an article this week about two prominent leaders who are musicians, rather, one, actually three leaders. Um, one was a author who I read one of his books, and he's no longer a Christian. Another a songwriter for a prominent music group. While he is a songwriter, he's no longer a Christian. And he is still writing songs. And there's, there's a, a rock band artist who confronted this by, by I think, I, I'm trying to remember if it was social media or something, but he wrote something along the lines of, when does it become cool to deny your faith and yet still serve God? When has it become a good idea 
for you to deny your faith and yet write songs for the church. And he, and he says, this, this ought to humble us. And the, 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 by the way, this is a rock music artist. By the way, these people are not, that I'm mentioning are not Seventh-day Adventists. Um, but nonetheless, it, it, it behooves us to get back to the word of God. You know, I love the song, give me that old time religion. People always tell me you're an old timer. Yes, I am. Because I love the old time religion. The word of God. The psalmist mentions three places. Remember, O Lord, it goes on in verse uh, one, uh, verse all the way um, seven uh, through nine. The rest of the psalm, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation, O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed. Happy the one who repays you as you have served us. And then it says, happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against a rock. This is the tension. This psalm that is in the Bible has been a psalm that has caused a lot of people to lose confidence in the word of God. Because they say, this is so unlike God. And so I would like to address this. I don't have a lot of time. I want to address this for you. Now, there are, there are a lot of people who say, and they come from the, the school of higher criticism, which, which, which I'm going to be blunt. This is not something that was given by God. This idea of criticizing the word of God does not come from God. It comes from somewhere else. The word of God is the foundation on which we stand as believers. And if you ever criticize the foundation on which you stand, then you will no longer stand on that foundation. Can I preach? This is the university church. I love it. Now, the psalmist mentions three places, Edom and Babylon. Most scholars define this psalm as what you call an imprecatory psalm. And that is the idea of imprecating judgment. In other words, this you cannot, cannot forget that this is a prayer that was being prayed by the captives that were in Babylon. Okay? Now we have to keep that in mind. And so they're praying, bear with me one second to recount their experience as they're by the rivers of Babylon and thinking about what they had experienced when they were in their hometown, Jerusalem. They had seen what the soldiers of Babylon had done. And so the author is reimagining, or authors is reimagining all that took place before and during the captivity. The Edomites, by the way, they were connected to the Israelites, but nonetheless, they wanted Jerusalem to be destroyed. And so they became cheerleaders on the side of the Babylonians. And so instead of helping the Jews, helping the, those who were the Israelites, they decided to join forces with the Babylonians. And they said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. In other words, destroy the city. And those who are supposed to be with us, when they join forces with the enemy... That should not be. And they're reimagining what Edom had done. They had not engaged in the battle, but they had shared it on. There should never be tolerance. And the place in the life of a Christian to encourage any form of injustice in our world. No place for that. 
Edom spoke in favor of the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were the ones who performed the act of plunder. Now, here is the conundrum. The Israelites had walked away from God. And, and here is the, here's the picture. There's a great tension in this psalm. The picture is that from all intents and purposes, it seems as if the Israelites deserved what was happening to them. But yet still, we can never forget that God's mercy endures for how long? That's why we read the psalm first, because I want to get to this. We're running out of time. So, so here it is, that the idea of mercy being mingled with justice. Those are two important concepts when it comes to God and dealing with issues in our world. Most of us err on the side of justice and lack mercy. And then others, others of us err on the side of mercy and lack justice. But God is the only one in which both are balanced perfectly. And so Psalm 137 is a prayer to God about what they were experiencing and what they had experienced. Do you understand what I mean by that? So the Jews were pouring out what they were feeling to, the, to God who would listen to their prayer and respond accordingly and according to His will. In other words... They didn't take matters into their own hands. They prayed. Now, here's something important. As the psalmist traces back in his mind the Babylonian soldier who had seen a mother with a child in hand and who then took his sword and cut her in pieces and then takes the baby and throws the baby on a rock. During this captivity and this persecution, he thinks back to the time when the other soldier who discovered a family hiding in their house and having found them lit the house and laughed while he heard the screams of those on the inside. The psalmist is writing and I imagine also if you would allow me to paint the picture writing with deep anger. And often when we see injustice in our world we get angry on the inside. We say God well why is this happening? Justice needs to be served. When we think about the Holocaust, our response is very similar. We get angry. Justice needs to be served. When we think about other things in our world, and we, we think about it and we feel that we, we get angry and we say justice needs to be served, but God has not given that into yours and my hands. He invites us to pray. And so while they were upset, this psalm is written as our encouragement to say, bring the anger to God who can handle it. And oftentimes we get so angry, we get consumed by our own anger. And we take matters into our own hands. And that should not be the case. Because again, we will go the extreme, either of the extreme. In a world of injustice, the role of the Christian, and this passage again is a difficult one, because it shows the raw anger. And as I examined e Ezekiel, and I examined this psalm, I said, Lord, might as well, I, I'll just skip over this and, and go somewhere further away from this psalm instead of preaching on it. And the Lord said, no. Because there's something important for us, for you and I to learn. And that is, it's okay to approach the Lord 
when you see injustice in our world. It's okay to seek him. It's okay to pause for a moment and, and say, God, can you do something about this, please? It's okay for, for us to, 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 to cease singing just temporarily, just for a moment to say, Lord, can you address this, please? It's okay for us to, to gather together and, and observe and think not only about the condition of the world, but our own condition. Because justice will be served on both parts. You see, God is a God of mercy to you and I, and most of us in this room have committed sins, and we know that we should not be here today. But yet still, he is so merciful that he gives us another chance. And most of us have been given so many chances. And you and I know that we should not be here, but yet still because of his magnificent love and mercy, he keeps us. His mercy endures forever. And, and you and I know that there are some things that we have done. Whether it be to people around us or whether it be to people in our family or whether it be to our own selves. And many of us have gotten to the point where, where we haven't even forgiven ourselves. We haven't even begun to do so. And in that, God's mercy is still sufficient. And so, there's a lot happening in our world. I won't even spend time telling you what's going on. But I tell you that it is time for us as a church to pray and seek the Lord like never before. We're marching to Zion, but, but remember... There are still poor people. We're marching to Zion, but remember, there are still people who are being oppressed. We're marching to Zion, but there's still people who are suffering. We're marching to Zion. Remember, I remember reading this powerful quote that says, the only thing you can take from earth to heaven is a person. The only thing that we can bring alongside us are the people beside us. Not the cars, not the money, not, not the many things that we pride ourselves in. It's the people. And, 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 and God has given us this responsibility to engage in this, this, this plan. Ellen White says that God could have sent angels to do the work of saving people. But he has allowed you and I the privilege of ministering. And so I fully believe as we come to a close, not only in this sermon, but in earth's history, that it's time for us to seek, to alleviate Micah. He has shown you, a man, what is good and what the Lord desires of you. But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. The Jews had ceased their singing. And by the rivers of Babylon, they finally realized their position in the world, that they needed to do something. Friends, family, this world is falling apart. It's not getting any better. But we need to be together. As believers, we need to be together. And so today, I wish to lay this burden on you. Psalm 137 is a prayer that is being prayed by those who are in captivity. And they're praying this prayer, and 
I was telling my wife this morning, I said, I, I was saying, Lord, why, why is this even in the Bible? But it's here. And they prayed. And they did pray. And there is a time where God will answer that prayer. But let him answer the prayer. I don't know what your situation is. Many of you are experiencing things or have experienced things or you've seen others who have. And I tell you, it's time to pray. But pray with the desire to see God do something. But more than that, and there are times when God will use you and I to serve those around us. And if we see someone that needs our help, this is the time to help. There's really no great appeal, and I know I'm a pastor, and I make appeals all the time, but I want to be very simple. I would like to invite you to pray, and all I want to invite you to do is pray. And if you'd like to take that invitation, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And what we're going to pray for is the condition of our world and the condition of our church and the condition of our lives. If there is a time for change, that time is now. What I'm really encouraging you to do, brothers and sisters, is to be faithful to Christ. Because now is the time for us to be faithful to Christ. And if it's your desire to be faithful, remain faithful, but also to be in prayer for those who need us the most, I ask you to stand with me. Very simple. I won't keep you for long. And I know I couldn't address everything in this psalm. If you have a question, please talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. But let us pray together. Father in heaven, this is a tough one. But we come before you understanding that you have made yourself ultimately vulnerable. Vulnerable to the world. As we examine the scriptures knowing that it's inspired, all inspired. We believe it fully. We know 100% that you're behind this book that is more than just a book. We understand that there are things in the Bible that we have to wrestle with and we come before you, Lord, instead of wrestling by ourselves and with ourselves, we come like Jacob. We say, Lord, we will not depart unless you bless us. We come, Lord, with the many situations that we are experiencing in our own hearts, in our own lives, and the things that we have seen around us. We ask you, dear Father, to do something. But we will not dare tell you what to do because we know that you are a merciful God and also a God of justice, and so we want to leave things in your hands. And so, Father, as the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. As it also says, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. We pray that this may be a reality in our lives where we receive a comfort from you because of our closeness to you, so much so that we may 
comfort those around us who are in need. Father, we pray that you make it clear to us our responsibility. We pray that you make it clear to us that which we should do and must do as your people. We pray, Father, more than anything else, that we may see where Christ is going, that we may see what he is doing. And Father, in this moment, we forsake our sins and we say, Lord, forgive us for what we have done. We ask you, dear Father, to restore us, as David says in Psalm 51, the joy of your salvation, that we may not remain in Psalm 137, but that we may get to Psalm 138 and praise you with our whole hearts. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let everyone say amen. amen. Our closing hymn is number 630, Rise, my soul, and stretch thy wings. 630, let us rise. Say. Hey.